Chapter thirty six of A Woman's War by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty six. The glitter of the sea visible between the foliage of flowering shrubs seemed to add a touch of vivacity to the June somnolence that hung like a summer mist over the south coast town. Parker Steele, half lying in a basket chair under a red may tree in the hotel garden, betrayed his sympathy with the poetical paraphernalia of life by reading through a list of investments recommended by his brokers a satisfactory breakfast followed by the contemplation of a satisfactory banking account begets peace in the heart of man it was about ten o'clock and a few enthusiasts were already quarrelling over croquet when the hotel buttons came out with a telegram on a tray number twenty five dr steele here any reply sir the boy waited with the tray held over that portion of his figure where his morning meal reposed while parker steele tore open the envelope and read the message no answer right sir wait tell them at the office to get my bill made up i have to leave after lunch yes sir and bring me a timetable and a whiskey and soda parker steele glanced at his watch thrust the investment list into the breast pocket of his coat and lay back again in his chair with the telegram across his knee faces vary much in their expression when the mind behind the face labours with some thought that fills the whole consciousness for the moment the smooth indolence had melted from the physician's features his face had sharpened as faces sharpen in bitter weather for a man who is a coward betrays his cowardice even when he thinks a much-grieved croquet player in a blue and white check dress was confiding her criticisms to a very sympathetic gentleman in one corner of the lawn it is such a pity that mrs sallow cheats so abominably i hate playing with mean people every other stroke is a spoon and she is always walking over her ball and shifting it with her skirt when it is wired people give their characters away in games it is so contemptible i can't understand any self-respecting person cheating the continuous click of the balls appeared to irritate parker steele as he sat huddled up in his chair with the telegram on his knee he found himself listening without curiosity to the young lady in the blue and white whose complaints suggested that the immoral mrs sallow was the cleverer player of the two dishonesty is only dishonest to many people when it comes within the cognizance of the law and how thoroughly symbolical those four balls were of the opportunities mortals manipulate in life parker steele might have realized had not his mind been clogged with other things the boy returned with a timetable and the whiskey and soda on a tray a fast train leaves at two thirty sir thanks get me a table you can keep the change much obliged sir and he touched a carefully watered forelock will you drive sir or walk order me a cab right sir and the boy noticed as he turned away that the hand shook that reached for the glass and that some of the stuff was spilled before it came to the man's lips no one met parker steele at roxton station that june evening a porter piled his luggage on a cab for the physician's own carriage was not forthcoming a sense of isolation and neglect took hold upon him as he drove through the sleepy streets of the old town 
loneliness is never comforting to a man who is cursed with an irrepressible conscience and his own restless imaginings rose like a cold fog into the june air parker steel shivered as he had often shivered when driving through moonlit mists to answer a midnight message the very elms about st antonia's spire had a shadowy strangeness for him a gloom that gave nothing of the glow of a return home parker steel stood in his own dining-room waiting and listening as though he were in a stranger's house simons the starched servant had opened the door to him without a smile his luggage had been carried upstairs he had heard voices faint distant voices that had tantalized him with words that he could not understand he had been ready to ask the woman simons a dozen questions but had faltered from a self-conscious fear of betraying his own thoughts the house seemed full of some indefinable dread as the dusk deepened towards night a door opened above he heard footsteps descending the stairs so slowly in the silence of the darkening house that the sound reminded the man of the slow drip of water into a well parker steel found himself counting them as they descended towards the hall if it was betty how was he to construe the message of the morning the suffering of suspense drove him to action he turned sharply crossed the room and opening the door looked out into the hall hello dear is it you she was in white and her foot was on the last step of the stairs i am glad you have come parker i had your wire early i imagined that i was ill yes that you were ill she halted with one hand on the carved footpost of the balustrading the dusk of the hall showed nothing but a white figure and a grey oval to mark her face some mysterious psychic force seemed to hold husband and wife apart their two personalities had become incompatible through some subtle ferment of distrust parker he made a step forward no i want you to go into that room and light the gas the insistent note in her voice repulsed him his walk approached a self-conscious shuffle as he turned and re-entered the darkening room betty heard him groping for the matches a sudden glare of light followed the sharp purr of a flaring match she drew a deep and sighing breath pressed her hands to her breast and entered the room parker steel was drawing the blinds his wife closed the door and waited for him to turn when i had your wire dear yes i wondered what i should find here the wording good heavens betty she stood back from him and leaned against the sideboard the glare from the gas falling full upon her face it was red repulsive tinged with ooze that had hardened here and there into yellow scabs you see parker why i sent for you he looked for the moment like a man shocked into immobility by a sudden storm of wind and sleet beating on his face when did this appear he moved towards her the shallow gleam of sympathy in his eyes darkened by something more terrible than mere fear betty stood her ground it was the man who betrayed the incoherency of panic come tell me his eyes were fixed upon her face upon her mouth it is i parker who want to know yes yes of course dear i can understand you should have sent for me sooner 
Intuition is a gift of the gods to women, a power, almost unholy in its brilliant reading of the hearts of others. Betty's eyes were searching her husband's face, as though it were some delicately finished miniature in which every piece of shading had significance. Her breath came and went more deeply than when life had a normal flow. For all else she was cold, very quiet, the mistress even of her own repulsive face. "'I want you to tell me, Parker.' She saw the muscles about his mouth quiver. "'Have you seen anyone?' "'Yes.' "'Who?' "'Dr. Little and Dr. Brimley.' "'Well?' "'What?' "'They would tell me nothing.' "'Nothing?' She saw him breathe out deeply like a man who has seen a child escape the wheels of a heavy cart. "'They gave me mere phrases, Parker.' A woman can tell when men are hiding the truth. What had they to hide, dear? Come closer, here, to the light. She did not stir. I must know, Parker. Yes, of course. The whole truth. Listen, I happened to go yesterday morning into your consulting room. Dr. Little had been reading. He had left the book open at a certain page. You know, Parker, that many men only read the big textbooks when they are puzzled by a particular case. Steele's face seemed nothing but a grey and frightened mask to her. Betty, you are imagining things. Well, tell me the truth. A form of eczema. Parker! Her voice had the ring of iron in it. That was not the word I read. Good God, Betty! It was this. She spoke the word without flinching, with a distinctness that had the cold and terrible conciseness that science loves. Her eyes did not leave her husband's face. Even as he answered her hotly, haltingly, she knew him to be a liar. Impossible! You are seizing on a mad coincidence, a mere ridiculous conclusion. I can swear— Yes, swear. That it is nothing, nothing of what you have said. His eyes had the furtive fierceness of eyes searching her soul for unbelief. Come, Betty, wife. She remained unmoved. What, you think that I... No, don't touch me. I don't believe that you have told me the truth. Not believe that I... No, God help me, I cannot. Her body had hardly changed the pose that it had taken from the first moment. It was as though it had stiffened with the slow, pitiless hardening of her heart. Parker Steele looked at her like the moral coward that he was, too crushed by his own consciousness of shame to pretend to the courage that he could not boast. "'Betty, am I—' she flung aside from him with an indescribable gesture of passionate repulsion. "'Don't. I can't look at you, or be looked at. Madge is waiting for me. They will bring you your dinner. Good night. She moved towards the door. Betty! He would have hindered her, but the manhood in him had neither the power nor the pride. She swept out and left him. He heard the sound of sobbing as she climbed the stairs. Good God! Parker Steele stood listening, staring at the door. A man who could neither think nor act. End of chapter 36